The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast dedicated to fashion, the art of living well, and all things beauty. I'm your host, Dr. Shirley Madare, your purveyor of this definitive source of living a beautiful and fabulous life. This week's episode is dedicated to boldness. Believe it, conceive it, achieve it. How to lead a disruption with style. This is, I know, right? Until I had to change the topic. I think that's it. This is my interview with Candace Cook Simmons Esquire. <laughs> so, Candace Cook Simmons is a lawyer, a published writer, a noted philanthropist, and a business strategist. She's in technology, entertainment, and also in the corporate sectors. She's the managing director at her own law firm that she founded, and she's also a wife and a mother. Candace has been honored as a Pearl honoree in 2009, selected as a finalist for Atlanta's Power 30 Under 30. She still looks like she's under 20. And a winner of the Celeb Celebration Award in Law in 2012. In 2013, she was selected as the Hollywood Power Player by Hollywood and Vine magazine. And in 2014, she was selected for the Barrier Breaker Award. She has also appeared in the American Bar Association Journal, the O Magazine, L Magazine, the Today Show, and Sirius Radio. Welcome, Candace. Thank you for having me. What a list of accolades. Power player. Oh, my goodness. Oh, and when I hear those dates, boy, <laughs> wow. It's quite all right. So we're, let's, let's get a little academic for a bit before we get into the mushy stuff. So what motivated you to go into law? I honestly think media okay. played a role in my deciding to go into law. I was pre-med for quite some time. What? I was pre-med. I got Stop. into a Johns Hopkins program. What? I was I in biology. That. that was my whole thing. Good for you. And I had a teacher in college. When I originally said I wanted to be a lawyer, I was in elementary school. Wow. And I was inspired by Claire Huxtable. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, Mom, I want to be a lawyer. And my mom said, no, I don't want you to be a lawyer. There are a lot of lawyers in the world and you need to have a career a career where, where you'll be in demand and careers are about supply and demand. There are too many lawyers in the world. Pick something <laughs> else. You should be a chemical engineer. Oh my God. And so that was what she redirected. I yeah. did math and science programs on Saturday mornings. Wow. I went to space camp <laughs> all because she was like, no, the statistics say my mom studied statistics. That oh was my her God. business. Her PhD was behind it. Wow. You need to be in a career where there are fewer women in the field and yes. there are plenty of women who are lawyers. You're yes. going to be a chemical engineer. And then we got in college yes. to 
gosh, what is it? organic chemistry? Oh, my love. We got into <laughs> organic chemistry, and I was sitting around making yeah, models. Making the models, And then in right. my government classes, yeah. the teachers were like, I really feel like this is your calling. Why are Meaning you- in the government classes. In the government classes, in the political science classes. And they said, why in the world Are have you, you studying you, organic chemistry? I mean, and I, my- Putting those red balls on those white sticks. Yes, <laughs> and the blue. And my high school was a math and science magnet. And oh I was, I mean, we were known for winning science fairs. Yes. And so all of our- all of our summers were spent doing science research. That yes. was a part of it. Yes. So long story short, it really was just a matter of me in college saying, I just don't want to do that anymore. Good for you. And so, and it was amazing because my summers were spent also getting accepted into those programs. Oh my gosh. And my mom just thought, well, what did we do all of this for? <laughs> and it was for exposure. Yes. And so I switched. And yeah. from that moment on, my dad's, pro, you know, his idea was, it's your career. Why mm -hmm. are you... Like, we don't care what you do. Right. You're just going to do something. Right. And so that was the switch. That and was so, the switch. A prof you know, great professors. Yeah. And also me realizing that I wasn't called holistically. Mm. And so there were components that I really cared about. Yes, in the sciences. And my mom got on board because that was when HMOs were starting to come into play. Oh. And the field that I wanted to go into was the one that was being most affected, most affected early by on. HMOs, yeah. And so she said, you mm. know what about that? Yeah. If you decide to pivot, yes. I actually think that this it would, would work make out sense. well. Based on the practice area I was interested in going in, and it was all so new back then. She was so right. And so that was, that's what, it was really just a circuitous route that of was a good trial route. and error, and yes. that's what led me here. So, you know, all is not lost, because you are, from what I read, quite scientific and strategic in your work. So using everything that you've been exposed to and how you learned, why did you choose business law and entertainment law? Oh my, I really have had a circuitous route. I didn't originally. Oh. I started out as a corporate litigator. Okay. I did corporate litigation from 2003 to 2010. Wow. And it was... That was what I'd seen, right? Mm -hmm. And truth be told, look, I went to the firm where I started because it was yeah. the highest paying firm in the country at yes. that time, absent bonuses. Yes. And, you know, I really didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. Like this was me crafting my own way. And yes. so I just went to what made sense and what served the life I thought I wanted to live. Yes. And so I went there. And there are some amazing things that I learned. I would not be where I am today, yes. but for the experience mm -hmm. and optically being able to see the things I was able to see so early on. I really yes. think that it served for better or for worse. Yes. It served me well. <laughs> yes. And that was what I'd seen on the practice, even oh. if that was criminal law or yes. on television. You yes. see litigators. You're yes. not law seeing transactional. Yeah, that's, yeah. You are seeing that. It's all sped up. There's yeah. no discovery. I mean, yeah. the reality of how boring it can truly be in terms yeah. of writing is never reflected. But right. It was an experience, and when I left to do, essentially, just when I knew I wasn't going to do that anymore, yes. it became a situation where what did I feel called to do? And I'd always wanted to do intellectual property at a greater uh, scale. Okay. I had a book of business already. Yes. I had a lot of friends who had previously been in entertainment, and the reason I'd shied away from entertainment early yes. on yeah. was because I thought it was a stereotypical field. Uh, when you were around attorneys of color, yes. more often than not, their response was, oh, I practice entertainment law. Okay. And so I just didn't want to do that. It seemed mm -hmm. so predictable yeah. and and that was just not a niche that I wanted to be yeah but then I looked and it was like I'm staring a gift horse in the face I have 
an abundance of connections who can afford a great lawyer yeah. who trust me yeah. and I can do a better job than the people they are being forced to work with because I keep saying that's not what I do. Right. And so I just shifted yep. and there was a lot of trust. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of between you and your clients. Definitely between yep. me and my clients yeah. and also just over preparation because I did not want to fail. Oh, of course. Not. And so that was that's the that pre-med in you. It is. It is. And it's also, you know, I like winning. And yep. so I was <laughs> not going to set myself up to just fall completely down. I mean, I think failure is an inevitable part of life, yes. but I don't want my failure to ever be because I wasn't prepared. Like, right. Right, there can be a million reasons why things don't work out. Of I course. can't, that can't be my contribution right. to that end game. So it was seeing life, seeing what I was really good at, mm -hmm. seeing what came naturally and then what could be complemented by my skill set. Yes. And it landed squarely in the face of entertainment tech and business yeah. and with a sweet spot for intellectual property. It just landed there and it served as well. So it, that was very scientific. You call it circuitous, but it sounds very scientific to me. Observations, theories, you know, proving things, ending up. Oh, yeah, it all worked. True. It all worked out. So you mentioned IP, intellectual property. I've always wanted to know <laughs> what really is the difference between intellectual property and a trademark. So a trademark is a type of intellectual property. Okay. So there isn't a difference. It's okay. just a trademark makes it really specific. Okay. And so under this umbrella of intellectual property, yes. you have patents, you have trademarks, you have trade secrets. Uh, and all of those things really do give license and protection yes. to businesses in a variety of different ways. Yes. And so this microphone had a patent in terms right. of how it works, right. the name of it or the tagline that goes with it, L'Oreal, right. because you're worth it. That's yes. something that gets trademark protection. Got it. Uh, the utility of something can affect whether or not it gets a, a patent. Coca-Cola has oh, a, yeah. a great trade secret. So essentially, if you want something to be protected with a trade secret, right. you never disclose, right? It's mm. always, you, you make it a part of your organization's fiber that right. everyone doesn't get access to how this is done. And then that's what's protected. So there isn't really a, well, there is a difference in that a trademark is very specific, yes. but it's all under the umbrella of intellectual property. Yes. So you decided to start your own practice. How, what was the sort of defining moment that you said, yeah, I work for this incredible, you know, law firm. I'm getting paid very well. I love what I do. But what was that moment for you? There were several. The first was, and again, I mean, this whole interview, I'm really aging myself. I can hear the numbers <laughs> and the dates. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And you don't this, have to mention dates if you and don't want this, to. <laughs> and this will really set the tone. So I remember sitting, a person that I worked for, a name partner, actually, would yes. take associates to get shoe shines. To get you, so you would go and get your shoes shined <laughs> right down the street. Yeah, and I remember talking to him, and we started discussing our social media policy. Okay, and meaning the law firm social media policy. Yes, yes, and how employees were going to be able to use social media, okay. and what was hot and new at the time was Twitter. Okay, okay. and so it was our attorneys going to be allowed to use Twitter, and yes. I remember him saying, "What is that?" Um, and which is fair because. Right he wasn't in that world yeah. neither was I I mean I right. was a little I was late to even having this conversation essentially when you think about when you would want employees to be yes. paying attention yes but I remember thinking this is a telling moment for me because mm. what I want from my career is really to have more of a Wayne Gretzky trajectory yep. and that is looking at where things are going and not where yep. they are and litigation yep. is very much so built on precedent and how things have been yes. done historically yes. and the career I want to build is based off of what are we going to do how are we planning ahead what does the future look like in terms of business and law 
And is the model that we're operating off of really one that's going to work? I don't think it is. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of traditional firms have antiquated ways of handling clients and business and scaling and don't see things. They don't have business development. I give and provide more referrals uh, than most people would be able to ever provide to me yes. because they don't have that panel and pool of yes. diverse contacts. Right. And that's intrinsic on those organizations. They could definitely work on it, yep. but that's a spot you have to look at wanting to cure. And my firm had overhead. We had the plane and the Fifth Avenue office yes. and then one on Lex and yeah. all of the, and so many top firms do. And yes. that accoutrement makes it very, it's hard to shift the Titanic. Oh yeah. And so <laughs> the glacier is coming. Yeah. We see it, but right. we're going to have to sink because yeah. we cannot pivot fast enough. I see. And I knew that so many things were changing mm-hmm. and the beauty of things changing when there's no pre- established way of doing things is there's no real learning curve because no one's in control yet. And if we get off and we get in charge of it now, who's going, who else is going to be able to say that historically have the old way of doing things, but also can now adapt to the new way. way. And I felt like I was in a very special position to be able to do it, but we need to leave now because at this point, (laughs) yes. and so, and so many things worked in my favor. The market was crazy. No one's going to be sad to see you go when the world is falling apart. Like it was just, I mean, people are sad to see you go, but it's a different yeah. conversation. And yes. that was my second time. Mm. Uh, I started in Texas and then moved to New York. And so we had, you know, for a variety of reasons, had said goodbye twice. Wow. And this was a permanent goodbye. Yes. And it was just the right thing to do. And yeah. so then I did a sabbatical at a program at Stanford. Wow. And Cross the T's and dot the I's. It was a business program through their graduate school of business for entrepreneurs. So it was a very accelerated quick program yes. to address very specific entrepreneurial issues yeah. yeah and so I went there and then yeah. I came back and you were ready to go yeah that's amazing I love that story I love that you pivoted but not just pivoted in one direction but you were in so many different directions and you were open you were open to the flow you knew yourself well though I mean you knew what you were good at you knew what you loved and you paid attention to that because sometimes people know themselves or they know what they love but they don't necessarily pay attention because they put other things as a priority and maybe they just ignore what they really love and who they really are so I'm glad you figured it out because the world needs you thank you so what's a common myth about lawyers and how can you debunk it I love this question oh my goodness (laughs) what is a common myth about lawyers I mean so many of those myths have a a modicum of truth to them Uh, name one I mean anyone whether it's the commercials on tv or I mean, I think those commercials are pretty fair. Um, (laughs) You know, I think the idea, the litigation side, I I really think is a myth. There is this, you know, television really creates these. I'm a law and order junkie. And (laughs) what it fails fails to do is reflect how long these cases take. And so litigation is really, it's not a war of the courtroom. It's a war of briefs and motions. Most litigators, when people, this is a myth. If someone sees a child or, or hears a person and the person is either articulate, mm-hmm. talkative, mm-hmm. or likes to argue, yes, then their idea is, oh my gosh, you're going to be a lawyer. Right. You'd make a great lawyer. <laughs> Actually, no, you'd probably make the worst lawyer. Really? Law- lawyers, particularly the law and order style lawyers, yeah. their jobs are primarily research and writing. And it's not just open research. It's oh, it's not all the dramatics in the courtroom. No, it's... <laughs> It, it's none of that. And yeah. so that's the myth. The myth is really the person who's steadfast, knows to the grindstone, enjoys yeah. 
almost exclusively writing, researching, and going through documents because wow. litigation is strictly doc, you know, it's basically wow. doc review. Yes. And so, which AI I'm sure will change and that's going to change your, yeah. your young lawyers. I mean, I don't know what they're going to be doing, but it's, that's the difference. I think the myth is that it's a lot more, not even glamorous because some of it is glamorous, yeah. but the glamorous part isn't the stuff that's happening in the office. It's right. what the office allows you to do outside of the office. Understood. That part can be glamorous, but no, that's the myth. The myth is that it's, we found a secret case. No, if you found a secret case, they probably found it too. You both have access to the same research <laughs> right. and you have to disclose. You can't hide yeah, documents. You, can't hide you documents. have to share them. So right. it's, I think that's the part. That's the myth that should be debunked. You mentioned young lawyers. Are there, um, is there anything that you would advise in terms of resources? Were there any resources that were helpful to you along your journey? <sighs> Truthfully, not that I can recall, mm. but it's been, I mean, it's no 2000 to, to 2003 was when, <laughs> so it's been almost 20 years, oh so it's hard gosh. to say. Can you imagine? But I can say I feel that there should be fewer lawyers. Mm. I think the biggest disservice we do, becoming an attorney really can sometimes be a great fallback career for people. And I say great sarcastically oh. <laughs> you know their parents want something to talk about at a cocktail party they don't know what they're going to do yeah. law school seems like a great oh, way like to spend default. three years and it's a very expensive figure it, it out strategy it I really encourage people to work first for two years the yeah. same way most business schools ask their students to have a business background before so that people really can appreciate what it is they want to do and also how are you going to be of service to other people there are I mean if we were going to talk about what we need right now truth be told we need some really fantastic attorneys in the justice department oh. We have a dearth there. We need some fantastic attorneys who are working with racists right now to help represent three-year-olds who are being asked to represent themselves in asylum cases here in the United States. So we need more ACLU attorneys. Yeah. I mean, there are there is a need for people who feel passionate about a purpose and a cause to use their skill set for the greater good. Yep. And we need to have a system where they can go to top schools or in fantastic schools and get great training and do that without going broke. Those things are true. But maybe the best place for yes. so many of the people who are figuring it out is yeah. Wall Street. Or mm. maybe the best place yep. is a kindergarten classroom. Right. Or maybe they really want to go to NYU and study filmmaking. Right. Like, own it as quickly as you can right. because life is so fleeting. Right. And, and make your statement, make your contribution. And do it and do it in a way that serves both you and the world. And none of us are served by people who become lawyers because they think it sounds like a good thing to do. Yeah, that's true. What do you wish you had known when you started out? That I should have done all of those things. <laughs> if I had known, I, I really, I think I would have changed what I studied in school. I would have taken advantage. I mean, in What's crazy is I, you know, I did very well in school and I thought I was taking advantage of things. But then I yes. look and perspective is just, pardon me, it's just one of those things where I could have done even more. Like mm. I did a lot, but there was more that could have been yeah. done. So if I knew then what I know no. now, oh my goodness, I probably would have made sure I studied two languages hardcore instead of just one. Right. I would have lived abroad for longer than I yeah. did. Mm -hmm. You know, I shortened all of those things because yeah. I thought a little bit was enough. Right. And in hindsight, is it ever enough? I would, I would have loved to have done that. Yeah. And so that's probably what I would have done yeah. significantly yeah. differently in hindsight. I'm very happy with where I am. So yes. too many switches and yes. we don't land in the same place. But those are things that I took for granted. Right. And, you know, 
And nobody ever really told us, right? No, it yeah. was, it was, I, I did the best I could with the information that I had. Of course. But with the knowledge that I have now, yeah. I'm like, oh, goodness. I know. The world yeah. is your oyster and you would have taken advantage. I would have killed it in I those think ways. I agree with you. I think I've done a lot. Right. I've traveled. I've learned a couple of languages. But now when I read some of these, you know, admissions for college and see what young people are doing I'm like oh my gosh I did not do enough but but you're right it's probably never enough but I see you as someone with a tremendous skill set you are dynamic you are vivacious you are intelligent you're very thoughtful you're very generous I mean I can go on and on and on but in terms personally do you believe and I'm sure you do but what do you think are the specific sort of personality traits or um, skill sets that led you to become so successful? Because you really are. It's incredible what you're accomplishing and what you're doing. Well, first, thank you. You're welcome. We really <laughs> needed my parents watching this right now. <laughs> they can subscribe to the podcast. They, and yes, they can. They listen can. Anytime. <laughs> that is, they will be doing that. And we Forever have, Fab podcast. <laughs> we are going to have to guide them on that one. They are <laughs> the ones who are like, does it work on my flip phone, honey? So... <sighs> I honestly think, I used to be of the mindset that great things happen to good people, but I truly believe, look, great things happen to bad people too. So it is, the world is, the universe is generous in its abundance and it is an equal opportunity supplier. And bad people know how to manifest too. And they surely do. (laughs) And someone said this and I I could not agree more. They were like, you know, the devil looks out for his kids too. Like this is not. (laughs) I've never heard that. We do not have a utopia. About, you know, or not even a utopia. We don't have a monopoly on, you know, generous giving. Fallen right. angels help out too. So right. I I truly believe that the second you realize that you are comfortable with the boundaries that you set, whatever those boundaries are, mm-hmm. you're able to create safe spaces and you can operate within those spaces and everything that happens outside, even if they affect you it's a byproduct and it never controls that much of the mindset. I can hear the most bizarre, crazy things yes. and I will know, I mean, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get into it. My time is too valuable. Right. Like that sounds unfortunate, Right. but this is, I, I'm not navigating all my children episodes yes. at this stage of life. <laughs> and, and what it does is it just frees you up. Yes, it does. And the only people who really have issues with boundaries are the ones who are not benefiting from you placing them. And so my role is not to satisfy everybody, everybody. else's no, that's right. demands. And so it just, and I have people who work really hard and are amazing human beings yes. around me. Yes, so important. And they are inspiring. I am inspired by my mentees. Yes. They actually are just dynamic. So yeah. I had great mentors, yes. but then I have mentees who yeah. who came through and showed me Oh my goodness, I thought I was doing it and they are coming in and I they know. have just changed the Killing game. It, right? And that just made it such that I just couldn't take anything for granted. Yes. And even when I'm griping, and I do gripe. <laughs> we all do. If you saw I was moving bricks around my house today, <laughs> that is not where I wanted to be in my morning hour. Right. But when I was doing it, I mean, there are just so many blessings within every complaint. Yes, so I'm course. like, I'm moving bricks for my backyard to get worked on. Like, right. I have a house. Right. I may complain about old architecture, but right. you know what? It's it, here. Yeah. And I'm it's safe. True. And so there are so many things that I feel fortunate about yes. that I keep my eye on those things. And then I recognize if I don't have something that I want, 
I do create, I didn't realize this, but I do create boards. They're not all vision boards, mm. but they're word boards. And I do, those things happen. And so when I find that I am not getting something that I truly want, I have a to board? take stock. Well, I take stock of why. Mm. Because I pretty much historically, I do achieve what I want. Now, it doesn't happen on my time frame. That's, yeah. And it doesn't always look the way, I am doing exactly what I said I wanted to do in 2003. Wow. If you had told me in 2003 that you would be here, I would have said, well, then why am I a litigator? I am a corporate litigator who's moving to Texas. I mean, there were just so many things. When I want it, I work for it and it happens. Yes. Yes. And so if I'm saying I really want something Mm -hmm. and yet I'm not seeing it, typically I'm not doing everything I can to get it. It doesn't mean I'm going to snap my fingers and it's going to come. Right. But normally I can see there's a difference between motion and moving forward. And I will find out when I am just doing motion and then mentally patting myself on the back, but I'm actually not moving forward. And I try and focus on that. What have I done to move and advance this ball forward? Even if it's in inches, I'll take it because games are one in inches. But if I'm just running in place and then saying, look how hard I'm sweating. Yeah, I'm running. But I'm not trying to advance it forward. Right. Then I have to take a moment and I either remove it from the list and say, if you really wanted it, you'd be working on it. You're not working on it. Take it off. Because it's somebody else's goal. They're going to work hard for it. Release it. Or I'll double down and say, but I don't want to release it. Yeah. This is actually my goal too. Yes. Let's sit down and get let's it done. do it. Yeah. And so that's the, and even, look, I can watch everybody else get it and right. be like, go team. But yeah. all that does is mentally. Right. It reminds me it can be done. Yes. Like, yes, do it so right. that I can be reminded, that okay, I'm not wasting my time. And that's that's kind of what I do. I love that formula. You said a couple of things. One was about um, establishing boundaries, which I must admit sometimes I have a, a hard time doing. So you pretty much co-create or create your circumstances or your life by establishing boundaries. Because if you're kind of letting everyone in and and everything happen, then the things that happen to you, with you, about you were sort of the result of something you created by not establishing proper boundaries. I, I love that. And then you also said something about that motion does not equal moving forward. Yeah. And when you, you realize that something on your list or on, on your word board does not come true, it's because maybe you really didn't want it or you weren't working on it or... I may add that there was there wasn't alignment. Yeah, because sometimes I'm trying to wrap that my head around that about the whole concept of alignment. You say you want something and you're working really hard for it, and yet it's not exactly exactly happening. Reassess: Is there truly alignment? What are you doing it for, and why? Yes. So I, I love those. But back to the word board. Do you have a favorite word? I don't. I don't have a favorite word, but I will write out all the goals. Okay. So that's what so it's really it, you're a goalkeeper I'm a goalkeeper <laughs> I really am I that's what I do I will write the list and I will take pictures of them if they're on a whiteboard at the yeah. office and I'll look and then I check and if a lot of time has passed and I've done nothing yeah then I really do look and, and see why and I did do vision boards I did yes. not realize this yeah. until yesterday I actually mm-hmm. was editing yes and I saw these vision boards and I yeah. was checking them off and wow. I thought well first I didn't even know I did vision boards I'm pretty sure I told someone <laughs> that I don't do them and now I see that I did uh, yeah and all in, I mean it, it's all in God's time because yes. none of it was of course. You know, from one year to the of next course. and yay this vision board was complete yeah but it was a good three years time yeah. and those things I mean I was just deleting them right because they were all finished unbelievable and so 
I mean, note to self, yeah. hold myself accountable more. You hold yourself accountable, yeah. It was important. I used to do vision boards when I was much younger, and I stopped doing them because I thought, it's not working. I've given this a year. It's not working. So I abandoned the vision board. But my mom uh, recently reminded me, she's in town visiting from Scottsdale. She recently reminded me, you know, I was cleaning up your old room and uh, I found one of your vision boards. And I was like, oh boy, I couldn't remember what I had on it. And she said, and I have to tell you, a lot of what's on that board is now true. It gave me chills. I love it. Isn't that crazy? It's manifesting. I mean, down to little details. I thought, oh my gosh, crazy. And I always thought, I don't know how to manifest. I don't know how to manifest. But to your point, all in a higher power's time. When we do what we are supposed to do and we are living the life where we're living out our real purpose, the universe has a way of granting your return on investment. I believe that. I really do. So you don't have one favorite word. Do you have a favorite curse word if you curse? I am ashamed to say. Yes, I do curse. I've heard you. And if I have not cursed in a while, yeah. what's so bizarre is that it all comes out as if I've been holding it in. And so, so it's like me. a litany, right? It really is shameful. And then people who are like, I didn't know you spoke that way, are traumatized yeah. because it really is like the floodgates are open. I tell you, I don't have a favorite curse word. I use them all with yeah. the appropriate Equal level opportunity of venom. Cursor. Absolutely. But I, I probably, gosh, yeah, no. It depends on the circumstance. Understood. They are all capable of being used yes, when as, necessary. As, yes, as verbal daggers. Yes, they are. <laughs> and most of the time, it's not towards an individual. It's about a circumstance. So hmm. they are all circumstantial. It is, but I mean, nothing drives me to it like being underground in New York on a train. <laughs> on like a that is Oh just, my gosh. You want to bring it out. I, that's I it. That, but yeah, no, I, I use a couple. Okay. I use a couple. Okay, I won't ask you specifically what they They're are. They're at the, the early start of okay. the, not even A. So right. moving from B yeah. to G, yeah. we pretty much get it covered. <laughs> oh, goodness. B to G. B to G. That's yeah. right. It wraps That's you up. It keeps thing. you whole. <laughs> so um, what sound or noise do you love, or do you prefer total silence? At times, obviously. Yes. The ocean. Yeah. The sound it's of cathartic, the ocean. It's cathartic, right? It really is. And my son's laughter. Oh, my son's laughter is my favorite sound. That's beautiful. It is the best sound if I could bottle it. And he's a cutie patootie. He bless you. He brings me just so much joy. His laughter really is. I'm like, we should be selling this. (laughs) Sound like it's in a toy. He's like Elmo. Right. It's the best. But wait a minute. Wasn't there an early album with? Jay-Z and Beyonce, where they recorded Blue Ivy's, Blue Ivy's yes. laughter or something. Yes. You could do the same. We probably will. I think you could do it. Harry, <laughs> get ready. Get ready. <laughs> Other than your own profession, what profession would you like to attempt if you had an opportunity? Oh, I think at some point I'd like to be a showrunner. Oh, and what does that entail exactly? So I probably, I mean, and this is, honestly, I can t- I know for a fact this has got to be the most grating thing yes. someone who actually is in the industry can yeah. hear because it's yeah. really like someone walking in and saying, <laughs> and I think I want to be a Supreme Court justice <laughs> and sitting down. I think I want to be a brain surgeon. Like, how hard can it be? I want to be a plastic surgeon. Do I can all. do that. No, we cannot. <laughs> I cannot do those things. But I believe that there are some narratives and some stories that need to be told. Mm -hmm. And I believe that I could work in conjunction and in collaboration with people who know a lot more about it than I do. Yes. Would I be the showrunner originally? No. But I think for a small series, I would want someone who knows how to work a writer's room working with me. Yeah. 
and I would want the team to feel comfortable. But no, absolutely. Yeah. It really entails the development, the execution, and the ideation yes. of, for me, it would be scripted programming. Yeah. But yeah, that's definitely... In, you know, it's in someone's pipeline. If it's not this lifetime, it'll be the next one. But I definitely see it. I am inspired and excited yeah. yep. by the stories that are being told right now with yes. Lena Waithe, with what Shonda Rhimes has done with ABC. Absolutely. And I know that the reason there's a dearth of showrunners is because we haven't had enough women and women of color who were working through those more traditional pipelines. I would definitely need to work again in collaboration with someone, but I do believe that run. I mean, I run a business. Yes. Like I can, I can lay track with yeah. the train coming. Right. And so as Shonda Rhimes put in her book. And so let's do it. Let's and I believe it. that there are some vantage points and viewpoints and stories that have a very unique perspective yes. and that perspective I've lived. Yes. And I would like to see that on screen. I think we should do it the honor of seeing that on screen. But I think you are doing it in your lifetime. You launched a media company, Namaskar. Yes, we did. You did that with the co-founder of Venmo. So yeah. tell me about that and tell me what you want to contribute on this platform, with this platform. Yes. So that's, and it's so interesting. So when we originally came together, we just knew we wanted to work together. Yeah. That was really sort of what, and I... And that's powerful. It you was, just know, but not what exactly, but you just know. And so we started with documentary films. Yes. That was that was the point. And then we wanted to see how we could have the, the greatest impact. Yeah. And so Namaskar was honestly put on a brief hiatus because I was doing a lot of panels where I was talking about access to capital mm. for underrepresented founders. Yes. And, I mean, I did one with We and Black Women Raise yes. and Forbes and NBC Universal. And they're really powerful panels. But we got to a point where I said, I can't sit on another panel if I'm not <laughs> offering a solution. If That's there true. is not, if I'm not saying I'm going to cut a check or yeah. I'm going to put you with someone who's going to cut a check. Yes. We know there is a problem. Where are the solutions? And so Ikram and I said, all right, well, let's, let's do this. Let's create an early seed stage investment platform we have some of the best founders yes he's exited i mean venmo yeah. did what it needed to do right and so let's do this together and simultaneously he created a product called ints mm. and ints is a word-based platform right. and so we're word ventures because wow. but wrd ah. because when you hear something and our idea was when you hear a great pitch and you hear a great product the person pitches the room is silent and you look at each other and you're kind of like yeah. word that was amazing <laughs> and so that was and he's into spoken word and mm -hmm. and not spoken word the art form but really the art of of creating the next google amazon that's my language not his yeah. um information but via audio and he thinks mm. audio is the next is the next thing we've already sort of exhausted pictures yes. and so i'm super passionate about film but we also wanted to do something together where we both were adding the the greatest value and he agreed to capitalize Wonderful. that interest and so with namaskar it was really documentaries and several of those documentaries actually got put out in an interesting way, yeah. not through what we done. Right, not through your intentional or deliberate no, actions. No, which shocked us yeah. greatly, but there were stories, and that's my thing. I don't care who necessarily does everything, as long right. as what I think is supposed to be out there in the world is getting out there. Yeah. And so two of the stories that I really felt needed to be out there 
were done. Were they done with the same lens and viewpoint? Mm. No. Have they been done so that they cannot be done again from a different perspective? Absolutely not. Right. And very much so because I know I own the rights to oh. a part of the, the narrative. So, I mean, I feel at some point we'll utilize that intellectual property. Yes. But what I wanted to see reflected yes. and it was put out through PBS, I felt did a good, like it, it did what it needed yes. to do. Yes. And so now. For the first time. For the first time. And so now what I really want us to do and what we decided to do was this. So he's actually in L.A. doing a deal right now. And we really just, we took Namaskar. And which means, and that's why, I mean, I still love it. It still has a a place with us. It's, you know, the beauty in me sees the beauty in you. And that's what we we wanted our narratives to uplift and inspire and allow people to see themselves in people who don't necessarily look or live like they do. Yes. And so that still has its place. Yeah. But it just pivoted into word ventures because before people needed to see that imagery, they needed to have some checks. Yeah. And we felt like we were in a very good position to be able to strategize around how that access to capital was granted. And I love so that's it. where we are right now in I 2019. Love it. I love it. I can't wait to see how that yeah. blossoms. Thank you. Because it sounds really exciting. So I have maybe just one last question about the academic part of your life. Okay. And then I'd like to pivot to some less academic stuff, like beyond the suit, deeper than the suit. Love it. Um, so what would you say are your most memorable cases, whether as a litigator or in your private practice? What are the most... The ones that taught you the most are the ones that are most memorable, the ones that people really know you for. The one, and I'm trying to think some of the most memorable ones have settled. And so I can only, I can't go into them that much. All right. So I can think of three. Yes. So the first I represented with a team. Yes. A, a large hospitality chain. Okay. And... That one taught me the most because internally you're doing these war rooms. Oh, and it yeah. really taught me about leadership and what yeah. it boiled down war to. War rooms, that's what you call them? Yes, Like the yes. situation room, yeah, but a war room. That's what it's called. Wow. And normally it, it looks just like this, except they're binders. Yeah. And the entire team. And so for listeners, wow. imagine being in a very large conference room yeah. and everyone is sitting around really... It looks just like this. You think a oak table and yeah. you've got whiteboards and videos yes. and people wow. coming in and out and red wells of binders of information and the entire team. Yes. And this particular case taught me the most about leadership mm. because, I mean, this was early on in my career. Yes. And I remember something went wrong. I can't, I truth, truthfully cannot remember what. Yes. But whatever had gone wrong, the person who was leading the team had already addressed it. and he had addressed it with us and then it got to a different partner and he was not there when it had already been addressed and so he's livid and he's going through I mean and and this was not these aren't situations where heads don't roll no heads actually roll in real time you can be sitting across (laughs) from someone and they will be fired in your face like it was very much so that way and the leadership was the person who was running the team essentially diverting and diverting by basically making it about parity. We're both the ones who are in charge here. Yeah. And I've already addressed it. So any other issue that comes from that issue or yes. that problem yes. is now on me because I'm leading this team. So if there was a problem, right. the buck actually stops here because I'm the leader. Right. And it was one of those things we left and we all go back to our, I mean, it was a full meeting. Everyone's kind of just like, I'd rather just eat lead and die. (laughs) But we go back and we go back to our office. And that's the thing, even in the most chaotic times, if you're working with 
if you work with good people, regardless of the circumstances, you get what I call bunker mentality and you all are kind of teaming in together. And so one of my work people came into the room, incidentally, his wife's birthday is today. He came into the room and he was like, I would fall off a ledge for him. Wow. That was ultimate leadership. And I said, I know. Wow. And so that case resonated because we were all, we were working through Christmas. We won. Congrats. I, and I remember that because I was excited. We got robes with our names. We yeah, got a wow. dinner. It was like a whole thing. <laughs> and I was so happy. But yes. I remember also sitting around that same conference room and they asked who was spending time with their family yes. for the holidays. Oh. And I realized no one was wow. because we had this case. Right. And I was ready to say, I'm going home for Christmas. And then it got to my turn and I was like, I'm not going home. Right. And I ended up flying my family up. Oh. And it was the worst holiday ever. But, but you know, we got it done. We got it done. And I also left and life is great. But yes. like, like, I was never going to do that again right. in that way. Yes. Um, and so that was the first one because it taught me about leadership. Yes. The second one was, oh gosh, I this is re- pretty recent. And this was a person who really sought a lot of advice about what they should do. Okay. Should they Before take, coming to you. Before coming to me. Okay. And they were advised by really well-meaning and well-intentioned human beings that smaller entities never win against large entities. It's another myth. Another myth. And And you debunked it. Yeah, we did. (laughs) And, and, you know, that person got what they wanted. And, I mean, justice was served. Yes. and, And money was paid. Yes. And... It was critically important because I think, you know, so many high stakes resolutions are never public because that's part of resolving it. Right. But things have a way of being amicably resolved if you seek a resolution. And I think we are too prone to tell people it will always be too expensive or too Mm -hmm. hard or too difficult. Mm -hmm. And so people roll around showing their bellies like little puppies and not advocating for themselves. And we've got to change that. Power structures don't shift. We shift power structures. And so that case was memorable because I remember saying, look, I heard the advice that you got. I vehemently disagree with what you've been told. I know that these larger organizations, you can fight them and win. I know because I've fought them before and I've won before. And no, we don't all go around talking about it, but it it happens. Yes, it's possible. that was a reminder because I was happy to see yes. that we prevailed. I mean, that was very soon. That was like last week. Uh, and I was also going to be mindful if we didn't. Like, okay, next time I will, <laughs> you not, will not tell say that. Like, maybe David and Goliath are true. But no, like, I can make a slingshot here. Yeah. And so that was the second one. And then the third, I've had clients where I felt like it was in their best interest mm. for us to almost be more docile mm. and accept more. To be the puppy with the belly up. Yeah, and, and I like I liken it to that because I think litigation is chess, not checkers. I do think you need a war chest, but I also think you need to have an emotional bandwidth that a lot of people do not have. You yeah. need to be first hurt, then angry. Yeah. And then you have to get over it and almost be vested enough to yes. be serious but not so emotionally vested that you can't focus and can't function in your life because right. these cases go on forever and yep. I don't even do litigation anymore right uh, in that way but a lot of clients get involved in that and so I, I do negotiate for right. a living yeah and what I realized with this set of clients is they trusted me immensely we have a great relationship and I remember when I told them the cost benefit analysis yes I did so really pushing towards yeah I just don't think it's worth it right and they said, okay, but we trust you. 
So let's just do it. Like if we lose, I'd rather lose knowing that we We did all of the things that you said. Yes. And I remember saying, this is a good number. Like you've got a number here. And I remember them saying, I I think you're better. I think you're better than what they've got. And I don't. That's amazing. It was, and it's not that I doubted that I was, but it was also like, this is not really about my ego. This is about what's best for you. And I don't know if this is best. Right. And we ended up, when they said go forward, okay, let's go forward. And we didn't just win. It shifted so much. It shifted an entire trajectory. Things would have been, I mean, the difference in life for everyone. Yes would have been tremendous Tremendous. and felt and instead we got the opposite of that and everyone has been able to keep winning because of it and so those are the cases like leadership creating a level of integrity and trust with your clients and then also realizing that the name of the game is advocacy so we can't walk around I mean what shocked me is in some instances lawyers were the ones who were like oh my god it never happens really that's I read newsletters all day long my inbox is full of organizations where we're going over these types of cases we cannot keep telling people People that that it doesn't happen or they will always be afraid and then wrongdoing will consistently occur I agree step up and so those are the three cases those are quite memorable Amazing. And more to come. You've been listening to my interview with Candace Cook-Simmons, Esquire. Believe it, conceive it, achieve it. How to lead a disruption with style. Please come back for part two. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. Curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD. Live beautifully and help make the world a more beautiful place.